Hi everyone, I'm Marty. I'm one of the ministers here at Chatswood Presbyterian Church. Happy Mother's Day to you. Let's pray before we look at the Bible. Dear Father, please uh, give us warm hearts towards Jesus as we hear your word now. Please change us by your spirit to love Jesus more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, one of the first world problems I sometimes face is a shower head without enough water pressure. Don't you just hate low water pressure? You know, you, you psych yourself to get out of bed on a cold winter morning, dreaming of that hot shower with jets of soothing water just wrapping you up in warmth. You step into the shower, you turn it on, and all you get is a limp trickle, a lukewarm drizzle that sends a cold shiver down your spine. Yuck, yuck. Now, let me tell you, on my scale of first world problems, a weak shower head is up there. You see, I'm quite a hairy man, a hairy man, and I need a thorough, strong rinse. The soap just doesn't run off my body with a light spray. So a trickle, a limp shower head just doesn't feel right. It's not the way a shower should be. Well, you know what? And here's my serious point. Here's my serious point. Sometimes I feel like my love for Jesus is like that limp trickle. It's just, just smaller than it should be. It's lukewarm. It's a limp trickle. It's not flowing out of me. It's more like a drizzle. And it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right, does it? I know Jesus is the Son of God. I know he died on the cross to save me. But too often I find myself taking him for granted. Uh, I don't find myself thinking about him or praying to him with gratitude. I don't feel the need to share the news about him. It's more like I'm just kind of going through the motions of a Christian life. I'm just trickling along. And so my heart for him feels a little bit like a weak shower head. And that doesn't seem right. Let's see what we learn today from Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Please have your Bibles open there at Luke chapter 7 and the first part of 8. Well, so far in Luke, uh, Jesus has been coming under some scrutiny, hasn't he? Jesus has said he, he, was, he was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. But not everyone's convinced he's from God, are they? And the Pharisees in particular, those Jewish religious leaders, well, they are watching Jesus with scepticism and even open hostility. So when we hear in our passage, uh, in the first verse here, that Jesus has been invited to dinner with a Pharisee, a guy called Simon, well, you might expect a bit of a scene but it's not the Pharisee who causes a scene, and it's not Jesus, but a third person, a woman, a bad sort of woman, known around town as a sinner. We don't know what she's done, but she's notorious in town. Now, Simon's house would likely have been open for guests to drop in as a sign of hospitality, 
But I can imagine Simon's heart sinking when he saw this woman come through the door. Oh no, what is she doing here? But she comes in and she does something quite remarkable. She brings perfume, expensive perfume, not just to give to Jesus, but to anoint him, to pour it out on him. Now, I've never had a stranger come up to me and spray Chanel number five on me at dinner, but I think I'd find it awkward. I mean, I find it awkward even walking through David Jones in the perfume section. Why does it always feel like that perfume section is directly between where you want to go and where you are? Anyway, anyway. It's clear that what this woman does to Jesus is an act of love and gratitude. She thinks Jesus is wonderful, precious. He is worth all of that most costly perfume. Luke tells us that it was from an alabaster jar. Now, that was a jar made of alabaster stone that you'd have to break to use. It could never be used again. All the perfume would come out. And this woman is moved to tears near Jesus. Jesus would have been lying on his side on a couch to eat at the table with his head at the table and his feet pointed away. And the woman at his feet sees that her tears are wetting Jesus' feet. So she lets down her hair and dries them. For a Jewish lady at the time, that would have been actually quite shocking. Not just wiping his feet with her hair, but letting her hair out in public. But then she goes further. She kisses his feet and she pours all of that perfume on them. This is an extravagant display. And it's obviously coming straight from her heart. She loves Jesus. She adores Jesus. She's not thinking about what others are thinking. She's just so moved by being near Jesus. Let's have a look at what the woman does in in our first verses here, verses 36 to 39. So read with me Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 39. Pardon me, just to 38. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. But Simon, on the other hand, as he watches this, well, he doesn't think much of this woman and he doesn't think much of Jesus. His question is, why does Jesus let this awful woman do this? I mean, if Jesus knew her, he'd run a mile. Doesn't he know how bad this makes him look? Have a look at Simon's response there in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Well, Simon needs to learn a lesson. Poor Simon. Of course, Jesus knows exactly what he's thinking. So Jesus teaches him a lesson. He starts by telling him a short parable. 
there's these two people who owe money to a money lender. One guy owes five, uh, sorry, 50 denarii and the other person owes 500 denarii. Now this, this coin, a denarius, was about a day's wages back then. In today's money, it, it would be like the two debts are about $12,000 on one hand and on the other, $120,000. These are both significant debts. One of them is a huge debt. $12,000 is not insignificant, but the other debt is just astronomical. Both these debts are unpayable. But for some reason, simply as a free gift, the moneylender cancels their debts. He doesn't get paid back. These, these people, they don't work off their debt. It's just gone, wiped out. The moneylender is the embodiment of grace. He gives the debtors freedom that they don't deserve, just out of his own kindness. And surely, I'd imagine, these, these people, they'd walk away just elated, full of gratitude and admiration for the moneylender. I mean, what a good bloke to cancel their debts. But the question Jesus asked Simon is, which one would have more gratitude and admiration? They'd both be grateful, but how much more grateful would the second debtor be? Right? The Jesus' lesson is this. The grace produces love. More than that, abundant grace produces abundant love. Read it here from verse 40. Uh, Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. Jesus said. Then Jesus goes on and he gets personal with Simon. He applies this directly to Simon. Jesus compares Simon with that sinner woman. The woman's extravagant display of love flows from an experience of extravagant grace. And so this woman has gone over the top to display her love for Jesus. Because her sins, that weren't many, have all been forgiven. Freely. Not because she earned forgiveness or paid God back, but purely as a gracious gift from God. Jesus tells Simon, her sins have been forgiven. I am the gracious money lender. That's why she's so grateful. She's received the greatest gift. And that grace has borne fruit in gratitude and admiration that just flows out of her. But Simon, says Jesus, I don't see much fruit in you. You haven't shown me honour as your guest. No water to wash, no greeting kiss, no oil for my head. You see, Jesus sees into Simon's heart and in there, He just sees cold indifference. Because in Simon's own mind, well, he's not like that sinner woman. Now, he's one of the good ones, righteous, respectable, better than her. 
And so he doesn't think Jesus has anything to offer him because he doesn't think he's got a problem. He doesn't understand the darkness and depth of his own sin. In fact, he's effectively convinced that he's guilt-free. So Simon is unmoved by what Jesus is offering. In his heart, he's thinking, for what, what do I need to be forgiven? He doesn't regard Jesus as lovely. In fact, he's more in love with his own so-called righteousness. So Simon doesn't show the fruit of forgiveness. He doesn't show love for Jesus. Look at what Simon, sorry, look at what Jesus says to Simon in verses 44 to 47. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, sorry, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. To the woman, Jesus is beautiful because she knows the ugliness of her sin. Jesus has what she needed, free forgiveness. And so she trusts him. And when Jesus speaks to the woman, he assures her that that's all she needs. Trust, faith. And then she can have certainty that, that her sins have been forgiven, that she has been saved, and now that she has peace with God. So while all the other guests are still questioning who Jesus is, this woman has shown them all up without even saying a word. She gets it, and we can see it. She gets that good news of the kingdom of God. She understands the gracious forgiveness of sin. Read on in verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who can even forgive sins? But Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, after this incident, Jesus kind of, he goes on tour, goes on tour around the countryside. He travels onwards on his mission to proclaim the good news of the kingdom from town and villages. He's with his disciples, you know, walking from place to place and, and they have no permanent home. They'd need places to stay and food to eat. But it was okay because they had a support crew, a group of women who had encountered Jesus and been changed by him. They accompany them. These women had experienced his grace in healing from disease and demons. They knew that Jesus has what they need. And they too show that fruit of grace, a love for Jesus. They've experienced his grace. And in turn, they support him practically with love, 
with food and money and whatever he needed. Let's read on in uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So what have we got here? What have we seen? Well, the weeping woman loved Jesus because she understood the depths of her sin, but also the sheer vastness of forgiveness. Her many sins wiped clean purely as a free gift from Jesus. And Jesus' support crew loves him because they too have experienced his vast grace. But in comparison, Simon's lack of love speaks of a proud heart, a heart that says, I don't need forgiveness. Jesus has nothing to offer me. But the women in this passage have it right. Jesus is worthy of adoration, honour and love. The grace from Jesus, when it's experienced, it flows into a love for Jesus. And the more you comprehend what Jesus has given you, the more you will love him. So how do we apply this? Well, Luke wants his readers to know this. First, their sin is vast and deep and dark and ugly. But second, Jesus, like that gracious moneylender, he forgives, he covers all sin. His grace is wider and deeper and higher than our sin and it is beautiful. He is beautiful. And so thirdly, someone who has grasped just how much they've been forgiven, they will overflow with love for Jesus. So those who hear the good news of the kingdom of God, they should accept the gift with grateful love towards Jesus. Of course, friends, the same applies to us as we read Luke today. We are hearing the good news of the kingdom of God. Some of us only recently Others of us have heard it before. But remember, that gracious offer, that gracious offer, if we've experienced it, we should respond with a grateful love. Let's think again about those three things, our sin, Jesus' grace, and our love. Sin, grace, and love. First, consider your sin. Your problem isn't a $12,000 debt or even a $120,000 debt. Now, your problem is that you have rejected God. You have offended God before. You have hurt God and his creation and the people in your lives. And so that I don't end up sounding like Simon the Pharisee, let me include myself in that. I have offended God and hurt people. You and I, we are sinners. And our hearts, they're not just a little bit messy. No, they are black with sin. Romans chapter 3 describes us by quoting from the Psalms. Just sit and listen while I read these words, okay? Do they describe you or is this too extreme? 
This is Romans chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. Does that describe what your heart has been like? Maybe what it is like still? Too often we think that sin isn't that bad. But if you stop and reflect honestly on what, what, has, what has lived in your head and heart before, let alone what you've said and done in life, you'll know just how nasty, bitter, selfish and proud your sin can be. And friends, that sin is an insult to the only one who is perfectly good and beautiful. The one who created us and out of his sheer goodness gives us all life. It's against God himself. Do you see how outrageous our crime is? See, if I took a spray can and sprayed some graffiti on the inside of a train tunnel near Chatswood Station, I might get caught. I might get a fine, but it's, in the scheme of things, it's not a huge deal. But if I jumped on a plane to Paris and walked up to the Mona Lisa and sprayed the same graffiti all over that beautiful, precious painting, well then, there would be global outrage. I'd defaced something of so much more worth and value. I'd probably get years in jail, and rightly so. Friends, our God is of infinite goodness and glory. He is worthy of infinite honour and obedience. And so our sin, it is an offence worthy of eternal punishment. But then there's the second truth. Jesus' grace how much more beautiful is Jesus' forgiveness where we see it next to our sin? Like that moneylender, Jesus comes to us with stunning grace. By his perfect life, death and resurrection, he guarantees forgiveness for us. And like those two debtors walking out of the bank office, we can be completely free, 100%, with God holding nothing against us. We can live as if we'd never done those horrible things, never thought those foul thoughts, never said those cruel words. That deep blackness in our hearts can be swallowed up in the vast and free grace of God. Isn't, isn't that beautiful? Isn't Jesus beautiful? Knowing the ugliness of sin, do you see just how beautiful Jesus is? What honour or devotion could ever be over the top in response? I mean, how appropriate was that sinner woman to cry with relief at his feet and anoint him with that precious perfume, perhaps her, her most precious possession? You see, she knew the darkness of her sin and she knew the beauty of Jesus' forgiveness. And so love for Jesus just flowed out from her. That's the third point. 
let your love flow. Do you love Jesus? Does that love for him flow out from you? I have to say, seeing what this woman does in the passage at Jesus' feet and then thinking about my own life, well, sometimes it does feel like my love for Jesus just comes out at a trickle. Do you ever feel that? Feel like it's for you? I mean, I serve Jesus and his people at church, but too often I do it grudgingly. I, I might pray, but I'm not, I'm not praising Jesus with my mouth every day, starting with thanksgiving and gratitude. And I get too busy to just stop and think about Jesus' beautiful grace towards me. But that woman, no one had to tell her to use the whole jar of perfume. No one had to tell her to kiss Jesus' feet. She just wanted to do it because she knew her sin and she marveled at God's grace. So friends, if we are, if we are feeling a little bit weak in that third point. If our love is at a trickle, I think we need to go back to the first two points and think again on what that, un that woman understood. Our sin is just awful. But Jesus, who forgives our sin, he is truly beautiful. So friends, spend time thinking on your sin. Be honest about it and confess it. Then also spend time with your Bible open, dwelling on who Jesus is and what he has done. See him there in the pages. Pay attention to his great goodness and then devote time to thanking God, thanking Jesus for your salvation. Because the more we dive into the depths of our salvation, the more our hearts will be warmed by the extent of God's love for us. That will be the engine room of our love for Jesus in response. It'll be like having a pump that turns our trickle of love into a stream. It'll come out in, in lots of ways. It'll come out in joyful obedience to him, not grudgingly, I come out in thankfulness in our prayers. It'll come out in uh, our eager and active care for one another here. It'll come out in, just in the enjoyment of knowing Jesus. So friends, let's overflow in love for Jesus because we know and see the beauty of his forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your amazing grace to us in Jesus. Lord, your son is beautiful. With sorrow, we think of our sin. We confess that we still sin, but knowing your beautiful grace, we ask for forgiveness. Please help our love for Jesus to flow out of us and to be fed by a fresh understanding of just what he has done for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.